This is The Law School Show. Discovering the person behind the resume. Bringing you their stories and their tips on how to succeed in your legal career. Catch it all here, right now, on The Law School Show. Hello, everyone. My name is Nicholas. I'm a 2L at the University of Ottawa and your host for this episode of The Law School Show. This episode is going to touch on a rather ephemeral subject, I feel, really something that law schools maybe don't delve into, and it's probably because they've got a lot on their plate. See, schools teach about the practice of law, legal writing, legal analysis, things like that, but maybe don't have the time to spend on things like the business of law, the underlying practices how to run a firm, manage or attract clients, things like that. So to shed light on this topic, I'm here with a guest that has practiced law for over 11 years. She spent six years working at firms like Heenan Blakey and Hicks Morley before successfully running and starting her own firm for another five years. I'm honored to be joined by Samantha Seabrook of Seabrook Workplace Law. Samantha, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Nicholas. And um, I think you're very right that law school does not teach about the business of law. And it's, um, it's interesting because the majority of lawyers coming out of law school will practice either solo or in a small firm and understanding how to uh, implement and run the business side of a law practice it, are foundational skills for lawyers. Yeah, I heavily agree with that. Honestly, it's something that I really want to learn more about, which is why I'm really grateful to have you on board. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- with that being said, I-, I guess I should actually ask a question I asked basically everyone that uh, in the beginning, but mm-hmm. uh, what actually got you into law? And a follow-up question that might be specific to this Uh, episode would be, were you always interested in starting your own firm and running it and and that sort of thing? All right. Well, I answer the second question first. No, (laughs) 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 I never thought that I would be running my own business when I went to law school or had that inkling um, that I should go to law school. Uh, I I had many different ideas of what I wanted to do as a lawyer, but uh, certainly running my own firm was not one of them when I went to law school. Um, How did I get into law? I swear I'm in law because my family said, you really like to argue. I think you should go to law school. You know, I grew up in a really small town in Eastern Ontario and uh, maybe didn't have a good sense of what it meant to be a lawyer, but I was always attracted to that idea of law as philosophy, law as like practical philosophy, practice philosophy. And that's why I decided that uh, law school was for me. Um, and I did an undergrad in philosophy. So, you know, I fulfilled all of, all of those elements. Um, but yes, when I went to law school, starting a business was not on the agenda at all. I was following that, uh, even employment law. Employment law was not on my my radar before going to law school, and it was really in that first year of law school that, as you know, you get exposed to all of these different areas of law that you didn't know existed, um, and you start to understand what 
what you can be passionate about in, in a legal practice. So I found employment law and I've never looked back. I, I wouldn't want to practice any other area of law. Wait, so you found employment law in the first year of law school? Yeah, well, a little tangent into it. So I went to the University of Toronto Law School and um, I... I volunteered at Advocates for Injured Workers. Mm. And the only reason I did so was because when you volunteered at the clinic, you got to have your own files right away. You didn't have to wait and do all this other kind of stuff like they had at other um, like downtown legal services and, and other, um, other clinics. <clears throat> so I went to Advocates for Injured Workers because I'd get to do like file work right away. And Advocates for Injured Workers does workers' compensation, WSIB, um, claims for people that need help. So that was my my little introduction to the world of employment law. And uh, then when I was applying for, you know, 2L Summer and for articling, um, uh, I wanted to go to a more full service firm so I could have exposure to other areas of law, but I really wanted that employment law experience. And that's how I found myself at Heenan Blakey um, as a student and then as a, as a junior lawyer. Honestly, so, yeah. that's awesome. Cause um, I can tell you there's a lot of two wells that still don't know <laughs> where they're going in, in law, but uh... Yeah. And isn't that wonderful too, right? Like you don't have to know when you're in law school where you where you want to go. Um, keeping yourself open to to something that you're really passionate about or to finding something that you're really passionate about is absolutely the best way. Don't don't trap yourself in something that you don't really love and that you're not excited to learn more about and excited to help people with. Because otherwise, like it's practicing law is, um, a calling, I think, um, you, it, it becomes such a big part of your life, a found a fundamental part of your life that if you're not really excited about what you're doing, it can create other issues down the road. So I was lucky that I found something that I I'm really passionate about pretty early on in law school, but don't feel that you have to. I mean, as the law recognizes, uh, your job is part of your identity and essential to your health and well-being uh you you've mentioned a few things about mm-hmm. like how you uh started working at heenan blakely uh blakey. some blakey uh <laughs> but and some people listening to the podcast might know what happened to that firm so i'm sure there's some some stories about that but i'm wondering and maybe there's actually some tie-in um to mm-hmm. what happened but what actually led you to starting your own firm since you said like you didn't actually intend to start one and run one in the very beginning and everything. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm not going to get too far into what happened at, at Heenan. I will say though, it was a wonderful place to work. Um, some of my dearest friends and greatest supporters are from Heenan. Um, we're still, you know, quite a tight knit group of, uh, former colleagues and, and now friends. Um, what happened happened. It was an interesting lesson very early on in my career about what it means to have control over your career trajectory and that putting your career in the hands of other people in terms of feeding you work, in terms of building your book of business, in terms of um, you know the amount of compensation you get, et cetera, et cetera, uh, can be precarious. 
Um, so it really did like set that idea in my head very early on in my career that that was not going to be me. Um, so then I went to, to another law firm and learned so much, uh, there. Um, but then it came to a point where I had to decide about what the rest of my life looked like. And that was an interesting, um, point of self-reflection because I think like the, the normal, um, career path is when you want to step off of Bay street, you go in house. Right. And I explored those opportunities. I, you know, looked and interviewed and got down the path with a, with some job opportunities, but it just didn't fit right. It wasn't giving me the, the life that I, that I wanted. I wasn't sure that I was ready to step out of private practice, but I was, I was sure that I was done working for other people in in the way that it happens at a, a larger firm, uh, at a Bay Street firm. And I had had the um I had had the fortunate opportunity to see two two very dear friends, uh, three dear friends actually that started their own practices after Heenan Blakey closed and was able to, you know, take take some comfort and some uh, knowledge from their experience that this could go very well. Um, and yeah, I just decided to, to jump, right? Because the worst thing that could happen was that it didn't work out and then I could go find a job somewhere else. And that's it, right? Like if everything fell apart and um, the my, my own practice didn't take off the way that I wanted to, uh, I could do that. I could go and get a job somewhere else. I wasn't going to be any worse off. So, um, so I didn't. And the only regret was not doing it after Heenan fell apart. I should have done it then. <laughs> but uh, that's okay. The lesson lessons learned, but and like and great lessons learned along along the way that have really helped me out um, starting this practice. Yeah, I mean, honestly, starting a practice seems like a really daunting thing, but you make it seem like an obvious step just by explaining it like that. But so, kudos for that. <laughs> it's not like it's work. It's a it's a different lifestyle. It's a different way to practice, um, especially I think coming from from Bay Street to to running your own firm. Um, and I was a sole practitioner for, for a few years. Um, so you have to do things in a, in a slightly different way. You don't have this massive infrastructure behind you to, to support the growth of your, of your own practice. So, you know, there are just things that you have to do, (laughs) um, on your own. Uh, and you know, for the, for two years, I didn't even have an assistant. I, I was a true sole practitioner um, and I was able to do that. Like I'm fairly comfortable with technology and I absolutely did invest in technology to, to make things run more efficiently for me. But uh, it's, it required some, some rethinking of how to practice law coming from from the two firms that I practiced at and starting my own as a as a sole practitioner then 
Okay, well, there's a lot to touch up on, but yeah. like coming from your friends that you've that have uh, learned a few lessons be- prior to you starting your firm and teaching them to you, um, and learning a few lessons along the way yourself, mm-hmm. what are what are the, some of the things that's you did that didn't really come to your mind, but propped up when you were starting your own pro- practice? Right. Well, shout out to Ryan and Sharaf. Thank you so much for all of the help along the way setting up my my firm. Um, Some things that I didn't think about. Hmm. Well, uh, I think the the different there was a couple there were a couple of things right for me that um, I had practiced management side labor and employment my entire career. And then when I started on my own, I was taking employee side clients, um, and we and we do we st- we still take uh, employee side clients um, here and there. We're, we are a management side firm now, but um, the difference in how to practice with uh, between working with a company versus working with an individual, uh, and how to to do that better. I wish I had thought about that a little bit more before starting the practice and certain things like um, like an intake process for your clients, because working in a in a Bay Street firm, you don't really do that. Right. You have you have clients that are sending you so many matters, new matters all the time. They're just those institutional clients. And there are people somewhere in the firm that take care of all of that onboarding and, and, uh, initial setup of clients. But, you know, I think, I think in the course of my career on Bay street, I think I did a retainer agreement once. Like it just wasn't, it it just, that wasn't the, something that was necessary in my, in my day-to-day practice. So realizing, um, realizing how that needed to change, obviously starting, starting my own practice, but how to make that client journey through the firm smooth and easy. And, you know, it didn't take too long, but I relied on a lot of, uh, technology, um, you know, not a paid endorsement, but Clio has been amazing, um, to help me automate a number of processes in my, in my firm. So thinking about that client journey through the firm, I actually, I didn't do that before starting the firm. I learned bit by bit how I can make that, that client journey through the firm truly work for, for my clients and the way that I wanted to, to practice. So, you know, don't, I think one takeaway and one maybe piece of wisdom I can impart is don't think you have to have it all figured out before you start your own practice. You you won't because things will change and you'll realize your brilliant idea actually doesn't work very well in in practice. Um, So don't don't let that be the stumbling block to starting starting your own practice, thinking that I have to have every single detail figured out before. Don't, there, there are some infrastructure that you need to have in place, but it's not as much as you would think to be able to, to make that jump, especially if you practice at a well-run firm before, you're going to have ingrained so many um, really good practice ma- management techniques. 
and just apply them, apply them to your own practice. Okay. Well, honestly, like a lot of things spring up when I think about mm-hmm. what what is needed in a firm. Like just with the intake process alone, I didn't even think about that. But like you, you <laughs> do conflict of interest checks by yourself and everything too, right? Uh, well, that makes it a little bit easier. <laughs> I mean, sure. I, I guess, right? Because it's only one person. It, it does make sense. But... It's more complicated now that we have more lawyers. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, so definitely thinking about how you're, how you're going to do conflicts, I would suggest that that's one thing you absolutely want to have in place before, before you uh, start your own practice. But it doesn't like it doesn't have to be complicated, especially if you're using a practice management software um, that's going to contain all that data for you and has a has a good search function and you you set it up properly so that when you set up the file, it does have complete uh, conflict check information, um, then it's pretty straightforward to do, I mean- to do conflict checks. You definitely seem to have the tech side of things handled. Like, honestly, <laughs> having seen your website compared oh. to all the other, many of the websites I've seen during recruits and everything, I could say it's definitely beautiful compared to oh. a lot of, yeah, like, it's it's actually, like, if if anyone hearing this wants to check it out, like, seriously, it is actually really nice to look at. www.swl.ca <laughs> <laughs> and more importantly, all the links work in there too, which is more than I can oh. say for some other uh, websites. <laughs> that's good. That's good to hear. Very happy that all the, the all the links work. Yeah, that was a a bit of a labor of love because you didn't see the first website that I had. That was <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but again, like it it just it reflects a transition point in where I wanted to go with the firm, like. When I started on my own, I I didn't have a grand plan for I want to have this many lawyers and this many years. And, you know, I wanted to see what happened practicing on my own and grow, grow steadily, but not stre- like not stretching myself financially or the firm financially to hit some sort of milestone that I had made up in my in my own head. So the first website was a little bit of a slapdash. <laughs> and then we we did a rebrand and the new website, oh goodness, two years ago now, I guess. And so that was, it was also the point of transition where I was growing the team, we were growing the practice. Uh, COVID was um, very busy, as you can imagine, for employment lawyers. So it was the it was the time to change change the identity, and uh, so that I'm so happy that you love the website because a lot of hard work went into that. <laughs> so mean, I'm very I'm very happy that, that you like it. I mean, anyone would like it's it's honestly <laughs> great to look at. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if there's competitions you can enter for, but <laughs> anyways. <laughs> you know, I think there are if you want to enter me. <laughs> Maybe I'll look into it. There, there are, actually. We'll talk after the next. <laughs> um, All right. Like- well, um, sorry. Uh, not to, like, go off on a completely yeah. different tangent, but uh, th- we, we were talking about um, essential things infrastructure that needs to be uh, set up for firms mm-hmm. before right and, and I before I forget to actually ask you about it but uh, what what would you consider like the most essential things uh, so the very first thing I did was an, get an accountant because <laughs> I oh. an accountant and a bookkeeper because I like I know myself that 
that realm of activity is not my strong suit. And so I knew, knew I needed a really good accountant and bookkeeper to walk me through and to like be supporting me um, to comply with the, the many interesting rules that the law society imposes upon us um, for trust accounting and all kinds of different um, accounting things. Um, so that was the most important. That was, no, I think that was the, like the first thing that I did was get an, an accountant and a bookkeeper because they helped me set up. They actually helped me incorporate. They helped me um, with setting up the bank accounts. My bank was really great with um, putting everything in place with them, uh, making some recommendations on how to have like those good accounting practices right from the beginning. Um, so that was, that was really important for me. Um, and then looking at the technology to that I found to be a worthwhile uh, investment of time and resources before starting the firm is, you know, how is the practice management going to work? How, what are you going to use for, for document storage? How is that going to be organized? Um, was also very important for me. I, <laughs> We're, we're not with Dropbox anymore, but that's what I started with was using Dropbox. Now we're in completely within a Google environment. Uh, we just made the switch last summer and it was been so great. Um, but I think over and above what the whatever product you're using for, for document storage, it's how the organization is going to, to work. And again, I just took what I was used to from my previous two firms and they had done document storage and, and file management quite in a similar way. So I just continued doing that. Um, but certainly when I did the the um, law society audit, the practice management audit. Um, they were very happy. They were very happy to see that I actually had separate folders for each of my clients and their matters. So it makes me really worried about about other people's practices out there. But being over and above the law society uh, practice management audit, being organized with um, your document storage is key to a successful practice management. You need to be able to find what you need right away. And that's a, that's a worthwhile investment of time to have that sorted before before starting your, your own practice. Yeah, I mean, as someone who likes to keep things organized and everything, I definitely agree. I mean, I've, I've used some online electronic databases and organization systems that leave much to be desired uh, I won't name names, but there there was a program I had to use for work one time. Um, and in order to move files, I had to select them each one by one and move them to different folders. Like you couldn't just select all of them at once and then move them around. And that was just, I think that's I spent not, hours just doing that, just trying to okay. fix things. <laughs> that's not okay. <laughs> um, I think, you know, if I had to... I think things changed, of course, during COVID too, right? Like what worked for me when I started the practice was no longer working for me um, during COVID. And what really changed was the document collaboration. And that's why we made the change to Google Workspaces because clients, literally clients were like, send me the Google Doc 
And I'm like, oh, no, we're still using Microsoft. (laughs) And I'm not going to say too much about Microsoft, but uh, it just wasn't giving us the the collaboration that we that we wanted to have with our clients. So we made the switch and it's been really great, really, really great to be able to have that functionality with clients and just staying on top of like, how can we operate in a changing environment? So we've been trying to be completely paperless since I started the firm. Um, and certainly like right at the beginning of COVID, we adopted things like e-signatures and all of this kind of stuff for getting documents signed, like even settlement agreements, uh, you know, just changing that, <laughs> changing that settlement agreement at the end from, you know, these, this document will be signed blah, 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 to this document will be signed electronically and everyone agrees that that's okay, um, can really make a difference. We got some pushback from from opposing counsel about, no, 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 there needs to be a witness and there needs to be this and that and the other thing. And I'm like, well, the technology is witnessing the signature because you get this nice e-signature sheet at the end. Like it's covid not going to be uh, asking people to print off and scan back documents anymore. Um, so keeping a, like, if you can keep ahead on on those things, like how to really provide that value to your, to your clients by implementing technology and rolling with the times as they are, uh, you're, you're really going to be ahead of the game because many firms aren't able to be nimble when it comes to uh, implementing new new technology or new websites or new websites <laughs> there you go <laughs> yeah uh, i mean covid definitely fast forwarded um like from my understand core processes that yeah. uh took electronic formats or something in that vein so that definitely probably helped but it's really interesting to hear about how uh, I switched to Google Docs actually helps like facilitate your clients because they, they understood the same technology. Like I guess using most popular software really actually does help your clients as well. And that's an interesting decision or factor to consider. Yeah, like we work, you know, I think even before COVID, Google Docs might not have been, Google Workspace might not have been the choice for us. There were some concerns, but like in terms of security and um other other concerns that are specific to to lawyers, uh, Google's really stepped up their game, and we work with a really great IT um, business provider that uh, has really helped us step up the technology game. Yeah, and like that, like you know, in terms of starting a firm, what you need to worry about at the beginning versus what you can reconsider down the, down the road you know, don't feel like you need an IT service provider out of the gate. If you are functional, you know, using whatever laptops and um, document environment that uh, you want to exist in, it's not necessary. Like, do I wish that I hadn't had to have spent so many hours on uh, Microsoft support when I first started <laughs> my practice? Um, yes, but <laughs> there are different ways around that, right? Like I, I, it was difficult to set up email. So I used a contractor and she came in and she, she did the initial setup for me. 
and that was an expense, but I didn't need that. Uh, I didn't need her on deck after that. So, you know, think about ways that uh, you can cut down on the initial startup costs. You don't, you know, there's so many things you don't need. You don't need an office. You don't need, you know, you don't, if you can function um, with technology, you might not need an assistant right, right away. You know, you take that, you take that step and you start the practice, see, see what the cash flow is going to be like before you start adding on all of this overhead that you might not necessarily need right away. And you just bootstrap it for, for a bit because it's, that I think is the, is the fear of how am I going to, how am I going to make money? when I, when there's all this cost, but you don't have to assume all of that cost right out of the gate. You can, you know, build little by little by little. It's, um, you know, discerning what is necessary versus what it's nice, what's nice to have. Yeah. I think a real benefit in these times is that maybe you don't really need as an office as much because you can actually keep your work online uh, i mean mm-hmm. i know i know in more rural areas having interviewed a lawyer there that um there's practices that start up literally in the garage of someone's house back then but now you can literally do that and not really require even the garage piece you could just be clients <laughs> online but <laughs> but anyways well you, and you know even now we're starting to see some people want to meet in person or like you know especially when we're dealing with companies you want to be able to you know have you know, have that in-person interaction, but you don't need a permanent office space either. There are lots of like really great co-working spaces you can get a membership at that you can book boardroom space in. I did that for the first couple of years of my practice before I actually taking office space. Um, it's a great alternative and like lots of really well-established companies are using this exact format. So it's not like, don't worry that you're not going to seem like a, a, like a fancy lawyer if you're in a co-working space. Because <laughs> um, lots of, lots of companies are, are doing it. And I really, I like the co-working space environment. I've been able to meet so many cool people doing really cool things. Um, I've gotten clients through it. Like, and I deliberately went to a co-working space that was not for lawyers. I didn't go to a chambers or something like this. I went to a, a co-working space that mostly was with people in tech and in a couple of other different sectors just to get a different vibe, <laughs> meet different people doing different things. And I, I learned so much from from the people that I worked with in co-working spaces. Okay, yeah. Okay, that, that brings up an interesting point because... Uh, you you went to the co-working space and you ended up meeting a lot of clients and things. So how how does how did you actually build your book of business here, your, your client list? Did, or, oh, maybe did you did it port over from your time uh, working at the firm prior to this and things like that? Or yeah, there was there some some clients came with me to to my own firm. Um, really, everything has been referral based, and I think that is a difference of starting your practice a little later in your career versus if you're coming right out of law school or after articling, um, of course, after articling, um, after articling at another firm, um, 
you have to hustle a little bit more for clients then. Um, and you have to get into, you know, marketing and other ways of getting clients. But where I was at in my practice um, meant that I, I did get quite a few referrals. I had this whole Heenan Blakey diaspora as well that were very supportive of uh, of me when I started the practice. So I was fortunate to to have have the support of my friends there. Um, and then once people kind of know that you're you're out there on like doing your your own practice, you just kind of, you just start getting files files in the door. Um, you know, the Law Society referral service, I think is, uh, if you are looking for, to build a referral network, um, I've gotten some interesting clients from, from that service over, over the years. Uh, it's money well spent. I think it's like $250 for the year and your, your name is on the, the list of referrals. It can be a good way to, to build up a client base. Um, but yeah, and until more recently, we haven't done, you know, big marketing pushes or anything like that. That's changing now. Um, and I think that it's come from a realignment for myself about how I'm managing the firm. Because if I could go back and change anything from before I started the the, the firm to now, I wish that I had looked at the law, this law firm from the perspective of I'm running a business rather than I'm running a law practice. I'm continuing my law practice on my own because it's a different mindset. It's a different, uh, it's a different perspective on what needs to happen. So you know, when I first started out, it was like, okay, I have my clients, I have my files, I sit down and I'm going to do the work. And by doing good work, more, more clients will come. And that did happen, right? But in the last couple of years, like I said, we went through this big rebrand, we changed the website. I've shifted that mindset to, I'm not a lawyer, just a lawyer, I'm a business owner. And I need to spend time working on my business, not in my business all the time. And so that's been, that's been a really interesting change uh, for, for myself as the, as the owner of the law firm about what my, what my true role is in, in the law firm environment. So I, if I leave you with anything today, those that want to start your, your own practice, it's developing that that business owner entrepreneur mindset when when you start your practice that's absolutely the number one thing that i would change read those business books read like like there is some really great content out there um build that build that mindset and i think that's going to go a long way to building a successful law practice all right that's actually really nice to hear. I mean, there's there's a lot of things I want to follow up on, but like one of the things I noticed um, is that it seems like your firm is really a reflection of you a lot of times. <laughs> and that's fully a reflection of you because you own it and you run it. But 
the that, that that brings up the point of did you ever consider instead of going by yourself um having a partner or someone else and starting a firm together or was that like never in the n- never in the cards at all yeah you know and i didn't really think about that when i when i went out on my own about having having a partner i think i really wanted to try i i wanted to try things on my own i also think i needed a bit of a break of being answerable to other people um so uh that that's how things developed for for me and then now it's it's interesting because i i do wonder about not having full control over the the brand and the 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 path of the the firm. I have a very specific vision for how we practice law. Um, if you go to our website, it's right there on our website about how the values that we that we have and um, being put in a position to potentially have to compromise on those uh, is not something that I'm that I'm willing to do. So having a partner in my practice. Uh, would mean somebody that's very much aligned with um, with how I practice law and how I insist that we practice law in my in my firm. Um, so we'll we'll see we'll see what life brings down the road. Uh, but I think you know having that vision and values is essential for for being happy in your practice. And this is something that I tell, you know, my clients to my employer clients, you got to have a vision and values for how, how you operate as an employer, how you conduct business, because there are so many different paths to achieving a goal, to achieving an outcome. And if you're not sure of who you are, how you want to be in the world, um, you can really get pulled in some directions that uh, might not create the success or the happiness that you're looking for out of running a business. Well, speaking of visions and what you want for your firm, um, mm-hmm. we've, we've, I, I mean, I haven't specifically asked about it, but obviously we've gotten a pretty good idea of how your firm has changed since it started mm-hmm. over the years. Uh, do you have any ideas as to, well, I mean, I think you do, but <laughs> what, what, what exactly do you want your firm to look like in about five to 10 years um, mm-hmm. from that aspect? That's See, that's the interesting thing is that if things continued the way that they are right now in five, 10 years, I would be completely happy with it, right? Like we are in a very big growth period right now. Um, so we're, we are looking at some changes quite soon this year. Um, but the plan has never been to you know, be this legal behemoth in a certain amount of time. It's about keeping the practice uh, in line with the values and letting that dictate the growth of the firm. So for example, like you know, I'm not uh, interested in grinding out my associates in in the firm. That's that's something that I will never have happen. Um, we put it right there on our website that we practice law in a happy and healthy environment. So when we grow, when we add people to the practice, it's in a very conscientious and thoughtful manner because 
there's now been a bit too much pressure on on the workload of of the other people in the firm and we're projecting out a certain a certain level of work and now it's time to add somebody right so you know when we think about what if somebody wanted to come and join join the firm well it might be a lot of money but is that person going to be aligned with how we're practicing law at SWL and if they're not then I am actually okay with saying saying no. It's uh, the money for me is not the the motivator. It's practicing law in a way that people feel good about themselves, feel good about their life, um, where we are, where we are truly helping our clients, not to make money, but to to help them be really good employers, creating good workplaces. And letting that drive the business is more fulfilling than um, than seeing the, the the bank account fill fill up. Uh, it, but it it has also le- led to the kind of monetary success that I've wanted in the firm. I'm just really happy about the way that it's that has happened. So, you know, that, that's not for everybody. They're like, you gotta, you gotta decide what that success looks like for you because you gotta be, you gotta be fulfilled with the, with the trajectory, with the growth of your, your firm. And for some people that is like killing themselves and grinding out the hours and, you know, living and breathing, uh, being a lawyer. Um, and that's awesome. And that's how their firm and their practice will grow. For me, that's that I wouldn't find that fulfilling. I I find having good relationships, having good uh, balance in my life, I'm making sure that my associates have good balance in their lives, um, making sure that our clients really love working with us. Uh, that's what I find fulfilling. So that's that's how we practice here. Yeah. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> yeah, honestly, um, it matches everything in your website says and everything oh, you present so far. <laughs> what I'm saying on brand. <laughs> <laughs> I think that something interesting you noted is actually that you're in a in a growth period. And honestly, I've actually spoken to a lot of firms, uh, and they all seem to be in a growth period. So I don't know if this is a representation of the legal market in general um, when it comes to work, but who knows? I can't be certain of that. I guess. What what I am interested in asking about is, or or rather like following up on, I guess, is, is something that's kind of like sprung to my mind when we were talking about associates and the mm-hmm. workload and everything, which may, may which may not be apparent at first, but from a technology angle, there's also I don't know if you know, but there's an AI called Chat, Chat GPT. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I don't know if you've you've been in conferences and, and been invited them to test out Chat GPT when it comes well, to I've, legal I've, work. I use it. <laughs> oh, all right. I mean, I, I can never get on because it's it's always like too oh, I busy. Was, I was on that thing right from day one. I wanted to check that. I wanted to check that out. Like, you know, it's it's a fascinating piece of technology, um, and it's a we're using a lot for marketing. Like, like I think, as most people are, it's a really, really great tool for for that. So, it's a it's a good place to to start 
um, uh, any kind of marketing initiative. So, and it's being like that kind of technology is being integrated into so many different platforms now. Like Canva has an AI uh, AI piece that will will write content for you. I forget what they're calling it, but. Um, that is the way of the future. So we'll see how good it gets at uh, answering legal questions. I've been, we, we've, we, we spent some time here at the firm, like just throwing some things into chat GPT and um, was pretty surprised at what it was able to spit back out. Um, so it'll be fascinating to see how, if that impacts, I don't think if, how that, how that impacts the practice of law, even within a few short years. Yeah, I think in my mind, it's not going to replace legal practice, but it's going to be a really good legal research tool right. that will save so much time, is what I'm thinking. Because from what I understand, it regurgitates um, legal research, essentially, like opinions of people across all jurisdictions, actually, which is so hard to do yeah. because you have to, if you, if you yourself are looking through all the jurisdictions, you have to find it yourself, but they can actually find all the topics and put it up for you to like start meandering around in and that's already really useful in my mind yeah and it's it, that's interesting but there are like there are ai powered um legal research tools uh there's a company called alexi that that we work with and they've i used alexi well, even a few years before the pandemic i I forget actually when I started using it, but like you pop in a research question and in 24 hours, it turns out a legal memo for you. And it's, it's not going to analyze your facts, but it's going to tell you the law on the topic that, that you want. And like our clients love it because you're not spending, you know, you're not paying for the $3,000 legal research memo. <laughs> We're able to offer, offer the memo at some, you know, a real value for, for clients. Like, you know, it's a place, it's a, it's a great place for us to start, right? So we get the legal research memo from Alexi. It's telling you like what, what cases apply and, you know, you have to go and read those cases obviously and, and apply them to the, to the specific facts that your client's dealing with. But the hours and hours of research time that, that, that kind of technology is saving is immeasurable. So it, I think, I think we are quickly seeing the end of the days where clients are going to pay for, for these really expensive research memos. All right. I think that's that's something that um, you know I'm certainly alive to to in our practice. Listen, sometimes the the issue is so complicated. The AI is not able to 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 give you that you know that needle in the haystack case that you're that you're looking for. Um, so you do need to spend time having an associate go in and research and spend spend those hours. Uh, but the but technology like Alexi is really cutting down on the on where to start and can really narrow it down into into that line of cases that you can drill down into. So if uh, I I think. N- <laughs> Not having technology like this in in a law firm is just not acceptable anymore. You, you, that is, it's worthwhile investment. Okay, so me a note for everyone. Um, 
before before we run out of time, I, I gotta get to the um just the questions. As much as I want to keep talking, there there are a lot of questions that are more law student specific that I, I, I ought to ask you um about like um would you ever recommend starting your own practice like straight out of law school or would you recommend working at least for some amount of years at a firm or something just getting experience mm-hmm. instead it's that's a difficult question for me to answer because i only have my own experience to to go from and the people that i am uh, closer with that have started their own firms also practiced at really large Bay Street firms before starting starting their own um they're there is absolutely a benefit to practicing a bit before starting your own firm. Like I said before, just the file management and the the organizational side of it, you you can learn a lot by by practicing before starting your own firm. Um, also, the relationships that you're that you're building through that through that practice can really be helpful, but. Obviously, lots of people have started practices right after articling. I think if you're going to do that um, over and above the many things we've touched on today about what you really need to set up a firm, if you're starting a firm right after articling, you know you have to have that mentor. You have to have that person that that you can go to with, oh my God, this came up and I have no idea how to deal with that. Because it it happens every day, and especially like, and I'm talking about when I started my practice. Um, after practicing uh, in a firm for for a number of years, um, but the amount of professional uh, ethical questions that will come up, practice management questions that will come up, figuring out like how do things work in this particular courthouse because. It's got to be different everywhere you go in terms of courthouses. Uh, having that person or not just one person, a network of people that you can go to, um, you, you need that. It's not optional. It's not optional if you want to practice law well. So you got to get out there, go to the OBA events, go, you know, contact random, <laughs> contact lawyers that you that you admire um, and Ask them if they if they have time to talk with you. Uh, I think people are pleasantly surprised. I hope they're pleasantly surprised um, how generous lawyers can be with their time and with their mentorship. Um, this is a this is a profession. We are colleagues, and I I know myself, and I know a number of lawyers that will make time to to have a coffee to have a, a virtual chat to to help you in in these uh, initial stages of setting up a practice um but i think like that's that's the the one differentiation between starting later on in your career versus starting right out of the gate is you've got to have that network of of mentorship and then you're going to like you got to figure out where your clients are going to come from right like if you haven't if you don't have those years of building your own network of building your own book of business where where are the clients going to come from um so having a marketing plan having a networking plan um knowing 
what you're going to do and how you're going to do it in a way that differentiates you from from other lawyers uh, is something that that is going to go a long way to helping you build that book of business um, and build that flow of of work coming in. Um, it I think that that hustle on the on getting the client side is going to be very important, and it's interesting because I think people people would necessarily or people would think that if I do a bunch of different things, I'm going to get more clients in the door. I I don't see it at, at like that. I think focus on, again, focus on the, the practice, the area of practice that you really love and enjoy that gets you excited to, to do your job um, and do that really well. Right. Do that really, really well and build your practice that way. Um, I'm reading this really great business book right now, a little plug called, uh, the pumpkin plan. And it's really, it's, it's, a it's an interesting book, the way that it's written, but the idea is really interesting about just doing that, that one thing and doing it really, really well. Right. Don't, don't get distracted with all of, all of the tangents you can go on, do the thing and do it well. And the clients will come. I mean, that really echoes a lot of what I've learned, like having a network is really important from what I've asked every lawyer of, um, and, and it kind of reflects what you talked about when it came to building a book of business, business and not leaving, leaving, leaving it to someone else, um, which, uh, which kind of brings me to like one final question, I guess, um, just to follow up on that mm-hmm. and is how would you do that as an associate? moving on like i'm assuming you don't do it as a student but like if you were an associate moving onwards how would you build your own book of business like if you were back um in your previous firms how would you do that hmm well it's it's not really that different right you got to devote time to networking meeting people meeting decision makers right so making sure that your network is consistent is has people in it that make that decision on where to spend on legal services. So for, for me, that's within a company. So knowing, knowing who to be in touch with, knowing who I need to network with to actually get that decision to, to give legal work is very important. And I don't think that that's different, whether you're practicing in a firm or starting your own practice, the idea is the same. If you, if you want to build that book of business, then you got to be bringing in the clients. So, you know, it's taking that time and not just it, not just uh, when you think about it, it, it needs to be a, a consistent plan. I had a mentor tell me that uh, networking and building a book of business is like gardening, right? Like it's, you got to plant seeds you got to cultivate, you got to water, you got to weed out the garden because eventually things are going to grow, but you need to be taking that consistent time to nurture relationships, to be meeting new people, to be out building your, your own profile to speaking and, and writing. It's not necessarily going to get the client in the door, but when they do check, when you do meet somebody and they check you out online, you got to make sure that your name, there's something there for them to find that you know what you're talking about and you have something to say about your, your area of practice. Um, but I think that, that consistent 
time. And it's hard when you're, when you're working at a big firm to find that, to find that time because you're working a lot. So it, setting, setting your own career goal, who are you going to be in the firm? Are you the person bringing the clients or the person grinding out the work? It's, there is a difference. All right. And I guess that's the note we're going to end off on. Thank you so much for joining us for today, for this episode. Samantha learned a ton and I hope everyone listening also learned a lot. I hope so too. Thank you so much for having me. And, uh, you know, I hope that people listening to the podcast do take the opportunity to, to start their own firm and to, you know, give yourself that opportunity to be truly in charge of your destiny. All right. Bye now. You've just been listening to The Law School Show. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and now on Spotify, or on our website at thelawschoolshow.com. If you liked what you heard, like us again on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter for the latest updates. Human stories, new legal topics, and career-advancing advice right to your earbuds. Catch it all here, next time on The Law School Show.